I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, all you anti-heroes out there. Doc Askins here coming at you with another podcast episode. I call them Q5 podcasts because what comes after Q4 in business? Who knows? Maybe it's Q5. Maybe it's Q1. All the numbers are imaginary and this stuff's made up in the first place anyway. I don't call it that for that reason. I call it a Q5 podcast because we're asking my five favorite questions to some of my favorite people on the planet. And boy, have I got a treat for you today. I've got my friend, Dr. Jeff Chamberlain on the podcast. He is, let me pull up his bio here, a second generation obstetrician gynecologist focused on providing exceptional innovative and personalized women's care. He has delivered thousands of babies. He's a robotic surgeon. He uses technology to deliver physical children, and he's currently in training to become a psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy provider. So with his thousands of experiences delivering biological children, he's looking to transition into beginning to deliver spiritual children. Would that be an accurate summary of just a slice of your curriculum vitae, my friend? Sure. That sounds more amazing than it really is. (laughs) That was what I was shooting for. We're going to expand and contract on this particular discussion. All right. But let's jump right into this uh, with the first question, Jeff. What's your story? Okay. Well, thank you very much, Doc, for having me. I feel underprepared and overeducated for this question. But I'll start with uh, from what I first remember of my conscious life. And that was showing up in a really nice home um, with two really nice parents who were busy and who were trying their best. I was born in Edmonton, Alberta in Canada to an OBGYN and his wife, my mom, who was at that time working as a physical therapist. So they were actually leaving me at my grandparents' house for, I think, about the first two to three years of my life. So I I ended up spending a lot of my early days and my opening, awakening, consciousness days at my grandparents' house, and I fondly remember them as well. Some of the things that are coming to my mind about what I need to talk about for my story and things that sort of guided my worldview was that my parents were strongly influenced by their parents' worldview, which was sort of like a Baptist, evangelical, free, fundamentalist, Christian sort of background, which really 
affected their day-to-day lives. And we, we went to church like three times a week. Um, this was for my whole childhood. And and we talked about a lot of the things that, and the interpretations of that worldview in the Bible a lot and based our lives off of that. And that's one thing. And another thing is also just my the temperaments of my parents is also another thing that really was big in the beginning of my story, I feel like. My dad was very passive and, and calm and quiet and actually not there a lot. He was at work a lot. And then my mom was there quite often, but she was the opposite of that. So she was energetic. She was sort of reactive and she was trying to figure things out along the way too. That's me looking back. But at the time I didn't know really what was going on. I just knew that she was having more and more children all the time. So there ended up being five of us and I was the oldest of five children. And a a little bit of background on my parents. My dad's dad was a professor, I guess if you could call it that, at a Bible college in Alberta. There were a lot of these in Western Canada, which were separate from universities intentionally and, and were basically schools where you could learn how to be literally interpreting the Bible and how to apply it to your life when you rolled out to either be a minister at a similarly aligned church or just working in your day-to-day life when you you know decided to do your occupation after that. They trained a lot of missionaries and things like that there. That was in Three Hills, Alberta. And my dad was the oldest of seven children, and he is a quiet pleaser. So what he did was he went to Bible college, then he went to medical school, and then he was going to be a missionary. And so in 1984, when I was four years old, another one of my early memories, he took our family to Cote d'Ivoire, and we lived in a village that was basically built around a missionary hospital so that people would just bring their sick and bring their laboring patients and people who needed surgery um, to this village and they would get care. So he started off by taking over for an OBGYN for six months to see if this was something he would be into for the rest of his life or his career. What I remember most about it was the smell of burning garbage and deep dirt wells that were everywhere that these guys were always digging. And I was basically a feral child just running around with a lot of these townies or people that were there while they're like children who were there with their families. So I thought it was like, it was one of the coolest ways to sort of be waking up, but like to your consciousness and being like, this is awesome. And there's actually some pictures of, of my dad and me in the operating room together. And I don't really remember this. I just remember him telling me about it and seeing the pictures. And I have one in my office, but I'm like, I have a cap and gown on and a little mask and I'm kind of watching my dad do surgery. So at four years, yeah, old. four years old. They they don't allow oh that goodness. these days in in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyways, I, I'm getting. I'm trying more to the pity. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying not to get really too long into the this. Just setting the setup is that basically, my parents were hard workers. They were trying to follow along a worldview that they were taught, and I was also sort of becoming sort of a pleaser. But in the midst of as I started to realize things, I I realized that I was having trouble following the rules that that were being laid out, but I still was intelligent enough to be questioning them as well. So, but I didn't exactly know how to reconcile all of it. There was this one worldview that, that I was learning at home. And then there was this other worldview that I was learning in public schools about like science and all those things that was fascinating to me and history and all these things. And I just, 
so, so kind of a point where, where this sort of starts becoming my own worldview is I went for my first year of Bible college in Regina, Saskatchewan when I was 18 years old in 1998. And I went with one of my best friends who had also been raised in that church. And him and I really got into the idea that we didn't believe any of this shit, except we kind of did. So we believed it. We wanted to learn as much about it as we could. And, and we wanted to go way beyond what was the starting point that had been given to us at church and at Bible school, but we thought there was so much more. One of the things that was cool about the Bible college was that there was a couple of guys that were there that really shouldn't have been there that were professors. One of them had a PhD from Cambridge and one of them, and he was like, a, he had studied the historical Jesus and, the, and there, there was some neat stuff that was like helped sort of embolden my questioning attitude, but also think that maybe there still were some things I could hang on to moving forward and in, 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 as I was building my own worldview. So Scott, my best friend, he went on to be, he got his a PhD in theology at the University of Toronto, and he now he is like, he is the representative for the whole Anglican Church of Canada for what's it called when what's that movement to like make all churches and, and beliefs kind of come together and reconcile the world council of churches. Yeah. But it, no, it's, it's, it starts with an E, but it's like a type of ecumenical. Yeah, ecumenical. He's like the ecumenical chair for the Anglican church of Canada. So he does all sorts of neat things with Aboriginal people in Canada and uh, like all across the board. So it's really cool. So it's neat to see where he's gone. And then for me, I basically, I, I, I went and got a philosophy degree at another Christian college in Kentucky, which wasn't very philosophical, it was just mainly theological, in the same sort of worldview. And, and, and then by the time I got to medical school, I was like, well, this stuff all doesn't really make sense, and I'm not sure what I believe anymore. And then at that point, there were some things that came up with my parents that I was just like, they sort of are not doing what I would like to do with their beliefs. They're kind of just continuing to follow them without questioning anything. And so that isn't necessarily a blow to them. It's just that was so that's the the belief system stuff but then when it comes to like just the how to live your life stuff i went through the period of time now especially that i've had children of criticizing my parents for everything they ever did to me disregarding all the cool stuff they did for me and 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 then and the loving stuff they did for me and, but i'm now i'm trying to coming kind of coming around to being like you know what this they were doing what they could they they were learning along the way and I need to love them and I need to learn to love the, the, the little case and body and mind that I'm in as well a little bit more. And maybe so the psychedelic stuff that was sort of like that came up for me as being sort of something that wasn't organic, like that I just kind of decided I was going to do on my own. It was more I have done lots of recreational drugs throughout my life and, I, and that wasn't necessarily to find something like a higher power or a, a unifying theory. It was more for just fun and, and because I was rebellious and all those kinds of things. But then when I was offered an opportunity to do it for a wholesome, meaningful reason in more of a grand, grander context of trying to be a better person. So basically when I was introduced to psychedelics, it was in a safe with the intention of this understanding sort of some deeper truths, potentially it was in a safe environment with people I trusted and with a more, a lot more directed intention. 
And so when I did have that experience, I was like, holy crap, how do I reconcile that with everything that I believe? Because my experience that I had was about two and a half hours long of, you know, the eye mask, the weighted blanket, let's just call it the holotropic breathing and other things with music and, and like ambient music and sort of like some prompts to, to talk and, and to have it recorded what I was saying and then reviewing that later on over the next few months. And it was just a neat experience of not necessarily a bunch of visuals, but a lot of just self-love and not knowing what I was really experiencing or looking at outside of me, but feeling like that it was very familiar and that it was like that, I, that everything was fine. Everything's okay. That re- regardless of the, a beginning, middle or end, everything is fine. And that, and then I just went through a lot of gratitude statements that were, and, and not necessarily apologizing for things that I'd done, but I did a little bit of that about like people that I feel like I've hurt or that people who I feel like have hurt me. I just sort of was like, you know what? I'm not going to try to dwell on that as much anymore. So coming out of that, that's, there's been a couple other ones, but, but that initial one was where I was like, well, how do I put all this together with everything I've learned? And I kind of got into some, you know, reading of the mystics and reading of Gnostics and realize and reading of, you know, Buddhist stuff and realizing that all that stuff to me is neat, but it really comes down to those things are kind of like ancestral or cultural pointers into like maybe a certain direction where these mystical altered states kind of accelerate the process of experiencing these kinds of feelings. But when it comes down to like what it all means, maybe it just means that we need to be nice to each other and love each other and love ourselves and love the people that we're put around every day. So I don't know. I kind of went all over the place and I didn't talk about all the different players and I don't want to really throw too many people under the bus because I feel, I don't feel like necessarily it's their fault, but I guess that's my story. That's the beginning of my story. Uh, That's, I don't know how good of a story that is compared to your other guests yet, but I think there are tons of elements there that are going to resonate with a lot of people because your story as you're telling it is one of your beliefs being constructed for you in a complex family of origin setting that was deeply religious. And then this period of deconstruction, right, that you described as pretty disruptive. And there's a lot of emotion around deconstructing some of your most fundamental beliefs about who you are and how the world works. And now you're in this phase of ongoing reconstruction where you're putting the pieces together and you're figuring out what was going on back then and what the heck's going on now and where am I headed and and being able to integrate all of those parts and pieces in meaningful ways is what it sounds like you're, you know, you're oriented toward and you're figuring some things out. One of my son and I's favorite bands is Wage War and they have this lyric, hate is a cancer, we are the problem, love is the answer. And that was what I was thinking of when you were kind of trying to land the plane there on like, what is the point? Like, what are, what are we doing here? And I think, I think you're on the right track as far as that goes. So I ask everybody about what's your story, asking about memory and about how you construct and, and tell all of those sorts of things. And then the second question is around what are your intentions, which is more about imagination and where you're headed next on this, this chapter of reconstruction for you. What are your intentions, Jeff? Well, my first one 
that I was reminded of a lot over this past week because I spent it with my children before they went to back to school was um, don't fuck it up. Like the, you know, we, I think you and I have texted back and forth as I've gone through your book and we've sort of, we were talking about the Taylor Swift analogy and the antihero and I'm the problem and I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah, exactly. So that I really liked that. So it was just, I'm not sure if it's coincidence or not or whatever, I guess not. So that's sort of like my over, but, but I want to be a lot more compassionate towards myself and others with that intention. I, I, what I mean by that is that now that I kind of have this idea that every day of my life is pretty simple, all I have to do is just, you know, serve some people and serve. And, and then that makes everything because I like simplicity. I, I don't, I'm not a very complicated, like when things get complicated, I get anxious and stressed and don't know what I'm doing and I can't sleep and stuff like that. But when it's simple, yeah, keep it simple, surgeon. Yeah, exactly. When I'm, yeah, I'm like, ooh, knife, <laughs> robot, even better. <laughs> there is a baby. Yeah. I need to cut it free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and 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 I, and it's an amazing thing I get to do. But anyway, so there's some other things that I, you know, I've been thinking about too. Like, I don't need to have a very overarching, compelling mission, but just something simple like loving people, you know, and myself. Uh, having like so an intention would be don't fuck it up my compelling mission of maybe loving people because that those are simple things for me to remember having a posture of gratitude for everything i do have you know and then being more focused on sort of like the process than the end point maybe and and just the journey and not the not worrying about where it's all going yeah the journey and the the journeyers maybe are the point rather than the destination to some degree Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. What are you grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for, um, for sure, all the amazing things that have been in my life. Like I've had a very privileged life compared to lots of people with a really nice family upbringing. And I've been blessed with an amazing wife and amazing children, but I'm also grateful for some of the things that are, I find as stumbling blocks and challenges. And the biggest one is, I think my ego that, that the man in the mirror is, is a pretty big challenge and adversity for me. So I'm grateful for whatever that is, but I'm grateful for each day, you know, coming up as an opportunity for growth too. So, but all those amazing, nice things, I mean, those are like, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the pointers that I was given and, and how we start and the stories that were passed on to me. And I'm thankful for the, the people who've loved me and hurt me and the people who've loved me and hurt me. You know, I'm not trying to point anybody out, mom. <sighs> <laughs> I love you, mom. With all of your gratefulness and ungratefulness being integrated here, what are you creating next? This one I thought was a fun one because I, I feel like I create a lot of um, problems, contradictions, and confusion, especially for my wife and children. Despite this enlightened um, posture that I have, but it has to do with that cool ego guy that I have on my shoulder or in my face or 
sticking out of my eyeballs and mouth every second of the day. Asshole. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I should ask, what are you uncreating? Yeah, exactly. No, no, but no, the, uh, that was my joke, but definitely I'm trying to create a posture of service and, and love towards others and appreciation for like the here, the now, the ordinary and appreciation for my, like my job, like my, like I, I am an OBGYN that delivers mostly healthy people. Lots of them are like Olympians children. Like literally there's like a hundred people that have become Olympians in this town. Like it's crazy. They don't all live here, but they come here and do that. But I've delivered lots of their kids. So like there's all these cool, crazy, motivated people that I get to help. I liked helping the sick people in Kentucky too that I helped. That was a different population that I helped with my dad's practice. A lot of them were sort of like Medicaid patients, but because I have a tendency to become discontent a lot and looking and comparing myself and, you know, sucking all the joy out of my life with comparing myself to others when there's so much that I, regardless of all the things that have been given to me and that I've earned and my education is allowed that are so awesome every day, just the simple things like, so it's pretty cool. So I'm trying to take, not take that for granted and try to use a graceful tone and, and use like thankful language and, and be just be kind to like the, the medical assistant who's rooming for me all day and the, the nurse who's helping me with a patient who's in labor and just those things, because those are, that's the way I'm going to be not even because it's the way I'm going to be remembered, but because I don't want to be a fucking asshole, you know? And I, and I want and I would, that that's my, this is, that's my arena. This is my realm. This is who, these are the people I influence. Like it's not just the patients and their children, you know, it's all these other little things. So I'm just trying to be a little bit better at living. I guess so what I'm trying to create and, and like this stuff about the the more compelling things like the the education, the new education I'm getting and and maybe the rolling out of some psychedelic assisted therapies for women who are suffering from you know all of the crazy shit like anxiety and depression and PTSD that can come along with the world that we live in and and the pressures it puts on them and the 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 things that I organically help them with too in my work, like infertility and miscarriages and body dysmorphia and chronic pelvic pain, endometriosis, all those things. Like I feel like there hasn't been too much and I'm not somebody who's been doing a lot of research. I'm more of, I've been more of a practitioner, but I have access to people who are doing research or might do it. And I have access to people who might be rolling out clinics nearby me or that I could collaborate with. That is pretty fucking cool. So I, I just feel like, and and when we were at that psychedelic science conference, I spoke with a lot of women that were sort of in the the Western Colorado region who are already kind of starting to roll out some stuff that could be really neat. So that would be not a huge leap from what I'm doing to what I'm kind of interested in and kind of bringing a lot of this stuff together. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, I was only very mildly speaking with my tongue in my cheek when I was uh, doing your intro saying that you're at this incredible nexus point between, you know, being a biological OBGYN and then being a spiritual OBGYN and that the distinction between those two things starts to blur and starts to fade whenever we start to see people as 
whole people rather than merely material entities or you know bodies that have souls or souls that have bodies or all these ways that we kind of parse things out to try to understand them better and then fail to stitch them back together and understand them as wholes again and i think it's incredible the opportunity that you're on the cusp of with your background as a surgeon but then with the intention and orientation that you have towards you know holistic health for women and children and all the rest of us out here. So I'm excited to see what you create and what the future holds for you, given your story and your intentions and your gratefulness and what you're creating. My last question for you, Jeff is who are you really? Yeah, this was the one I was, can we go back to the, what I'm creating question? <laughs> Speak into the microphone. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. So what am I really? Well, I like that that Pearl Jam song, Nothing Man. I like that one. Just thinking about that song. That was a nice high school treat, but I didn't know that it was it's a classic. Yeah. Throwback to the, the 90s and the early double aughts. That's, that feels like all that I'm listening to at this point. Like I'm just kind of reliving the good old days of, you know, a warp tour when it first got <laughs> yeah. started or whatever. Yeah. Well, what am I really? Well, I, I think of myself as whatever it means, a child of God created in the image of God. A nothing man. I think of myself as deep down, there's some love and there's some hate and there's some discontent. It's it's kind of all wrestling together. And I think of myself as a doubting Thomas, and it's cool that I named my son Thomas. I named him partly after Thomas Aquinas, but also after doubting Thomas. I'm a faker. It's funny because the word Thomas means twin. I know, I know, I know, uh, which is kind of cool. It's like you got Thomas Aquinas and St. Thomas that you named your one son after the twin twins. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought if I had a son, that'd be a cool name for him. Cause Thomas was always the person in the Bible that I felt the most aligned with. I was like, show me some fucking proof here. Like what the, what's going on here? <laughs> you just walked through a I wall. I want to touch like, the wound. What, what's going Let on me here? touch the wound. Yeah, exactly. Let me just stick my hand this in there. This guy doesn't and look yours. anything I'm like him. Yours. <laughs> <laughs> are, are we all sitting here? Talk, what's going on here? Anyways, but I'm, I'm, I'm a doer too. Like, I, like, yes, I went through medical school and yes, I thought I was a philosopher, but I'm like a, like, I like doing things. I like doing things with my hands and, and like when something bad is happening, I want to do something and I don't really want to like think about it. So what am I really, I don't know, but I, my hope is that I can live a life of compassion and kindness and by serving others and that whatever I am, will be known through my actions and not less through my words. I think I told you that I was, that I snuck on to um, Ernest Hemingway's property and catch him last week. I wasn't supposed to be doing that, but it's an artist's residence now. So like, I think that they're okay with people walking around, but, and, but you know, I've been reading his books for some random reason. I don't even know why, but, and they're kind of depressing. A lot of his books are kind of depressing, but he is a super simple writer to read. But he, the, in, in one of his books, A Farewell to Arms, he's escaped from the front lines and he's like trying to get to Switzerland in World War I from Italy. And he's hanging out playing pool in a bar with this 94-year-old guy named Count Greffy. And he's like, he's like one of the father, father figures of, of, the, of the main character in, in, in this scene. And, and in, 
the 94 year old guy goes, well, I'm a lot less devout than I thought I would be at this point in my life. And then he's like, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, I just hope people pray for me because I didn't really get around to being devout, you know, throughout my life. And then he says, you know, that even though I, I haven't really become wise or devout, I've become careful. And I've thought that, you know, loving people is the most important thing. And I was just like, well, that's pretty cool. Even though the book ends really horribly. Otherwise, that's just kind of a little nugget tucked in there. So that doesn't really answer who I am. It's talking about like what I've been reading and what I hope I can do. But I don't know who I am. I'm a zero. <laughs> There's that old Blue Clocks Green song thrown back to the, you know, the 90s and the double aughts there with the Hemingway song. You know, you can do it anyway, just like Hemingway. You can be a hero. All you have to know is what to say. Right. Yeah, so I don't know who I am, but I'm trying to be somebody better. But not really, not really worried about it if I don't. I'm excited to be on the journey with you and to see where these chapters of reconstruction are going to take you going forward, my friend. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. And thanks a lot for writing that book. I mean, even if you didn't actually write that book, I'm glad that it landed up in my hands and I started like reading the words and thinking about the things I liked. I liked the, my favorite word in the whole book is probably Jana sexual. So uh, I'm a mosexual. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> and I also realized that I hadn't read Moby Dick, so I got to read that. It's a good spiritual allegory if you've got eyes to see and ears to hear. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so from here on out, you can call me Jeff or Chambo or Bushman or, or mosexual. Yeah. You know. I, so what are it's you really? A, I'm a mosexual. A whole, <laughs> whole bunch of pseudonyms. Let's just stack up all the pseudonyms and all the, the thousands of names. All yeah, the diplomas. Just, we'll put it down there in my trophy all room. All the things <laughs> that all the people think about all the stuff. Yeah. And let's light it on fire and walk away. Yeah, dumpster fire. <laughs> I do, speaking of those, I did light some in, in my teen years, but the, when I smell this certain smell of burning garbage, and I did smell it quite often in Eastern Kentucky when I was doing locums there, it brought me like immediately back to West Africa when I was four years old. Just something about something burning, just that certain whatever it is, it's like it brings you right back. Yeah, it's funny how uh, universal garbage fire smell can be because <laughs> I've been on most of the continents at this point and over and over again, it's just an easy connection to make inside my, you know, uh, the lowest common denominator, burning garbage. Uh, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is familiar. This smells like home. Yes. <laughs> I feel I, uh, okay. Okay. I'm not fully this, out of my element here. Ah, uh, yeah. This <laughs> smells like earth. Yes. I'm, I'm on the right, I'm in the right place. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, my friend. I love you, man. Love you too, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Doc out.